Welcome to an episode. Hey, we actually have a little bit of video for Kathy. That's pretty funny. John, you've got wow. a minion. Kathy, <laughs> you sound oh like you're dying. <laughs> let's see. I do have, let's see if I can find that source, and I'll move you over and see if I can get you uh, moved over and put you in your own window, Kathy. Hooray. Hooray. But welcome to the new episode, Kathy. What episode are we on, huh? Hmm? 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 Uh, ninety-seven. I can't move you, Kathy. Oh wait a minute. I want uh, We are on episode ninety-seven today. We are going to talk about uh, role-playing. And using uh, your skill as a GM um, for the people that are new to it, how to do it, what to do, um, you name it. Kathy is working off of a secondary computer just so she could be here because she did want to miss this important, important episode. That is so mm -hmm. important. I'm funny. <laughs> Kathy is having it's so uh, Oh, cookies. Jeez, there's like talking with cookies now. She's going to eat cookies in the process. Uh-huh. Uh I'm a little jelly. These are the same cookies that Ganjo was eating last week. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, hopefully not the exact same ones, because that doesn't sound tasty. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kathy is working off of a secondary computer, because hers is kind of crapped the bed for a bit. Um, so, she's trying to get that started and fixed and have to look into it. So, if you missed, um, she wasn't on Friday. She's going to try to get everything back up to normal so she can stream again on Tuesday. Um, hopefully. That's the goal. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, so let's do our things and get everything started. Uh, we want to thank all of our sponsors uh, for everything going. Uh, this week, uh, excuse me, next week we have, we'll have a giveaway from uh, Tectonic Craft Studios. Um, and we will be giving some product away that he has given us. Uh, on top of that, ugh. Um, we also want to thank uh, Mechanico Studios and Muse on Minis uh, for all their help in getting things done, for hosting us and pushing us out to all the different airwaves. Um, we also want to thank all of our listeners, everybody that's subscribed to us. Man, we have not had like this many subscribers in forever. It is so freaking cool that people are subscribing to our channel now. Um, yes, thank you so much. It means a lot, really, because uh, we're trying to make sure that we keep everything going and running and getting new stuff uh, to help everybody out. And uh, for our patron subscribers, we really appreciate y'all. Uh, you're helping us keep the lights on. Uh, be ready. As soon as Dawn of the Harbinger is gone and done, fingers crossed, maybe next week, um, we will be rearranging our patron rewards uh, to kind of reflect something better and new and different. Um, so that's going to be coming up. Uh, also, if you watch us on Facebook or listen to us or do whatever, and just for super cool guys, we appreciate it a lot. It means a lot to us. Um, so with that, Kathy, what are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking gin. I thought you were doing and, ton and tonic. I thought it was stream sauce. <laughs> yes. I'm drinking stream sauce. Because Jim told us it was stream sauce. Better known as gin and tonic. 
<laughs> John, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I've got uh, the last of my Kraken mixed with Dr. Pepper and a little bit of uh, Jack Daniels and Seattle. I am working on my Imperial Grind cho- coffee stout. I almost said chocolate stout. Coffee stout from by Mother's. Uh, do we need to do any shout-outs uh, today? I just realized I'm not logged into Twitch on this old-ass computer. Which is not really a surprise. <laughs> probably a good thing, too. Oh, uh, so says everybody gonzo. Sounds like they're in a barrel. I sound like I'm in a barrel? No, oh, everyone but you sounds like they're in a barrel. Oh. Um... Which what? is weird, because earlier he said you were quiet and I wasn't. No one else said that, so I think it's a him problem. I think it's a him problem, too. I mean, it's Gonzo. Mm-hmm. Or the echo from Spain. Is there echo from Spain? Let me check the audio on, because she's running through James's. Yes, yes, I am. And right, I'm running through uh, Jim's Skype, and I'm trying to find where you, his... Uh, Kathy, where say his something. Is. I'm trying to find where Jim's internet browser is on no, this no. machine. Okay. Uh, well, I figured it out. I forgot to uh, mute James is what it was. So there was a little bit of feedback coming through. Uh-huh. There you go. Uh-huh. So, that got Couldn't blame you on that one, Banyan. We no, tried. Got that one fixed. Yeah. John okay. should not have any echoes. Echo. Because uh, I got that fixed on here. Uh, Kathy was coming in on James's Skype. That's the reason why I didn't get that fixed. Yeah. There we go. That Kathy. Screwing everything up for everybody else. I mean, Benny is just happy we couldn't blame him for something for once. Yeah, for once. I will take all the credit. I will take all the credit for this one, Benny. As my gift to you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't say she never gave you nothing. Ever. (laughs) Uh, but no, I, I don't know of anyone uh, that we need to toast. Okay. So let's just toast. We will toast to all of our listeners and viewers and followers and friends and those people. Thank you for listening. Cheers. 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 Oh. Don't worry, I won't stream. I won't. You won't scream. No. I'm no, not gonna I'm not going to gonna put the Twitch on this because it's not connected to the... Oh. It's not work. hardwired in. Gotcha. Uh, I will try and keep track and, and throw some questions at you then. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I you know what? I can do it on my phone, though. Oh, there you go. Yeah, watch it on your phone. Technology! Right? Yeah. I'll just be me on my phone. Oh, God. Kathy's going to jump in the chat room. That's rare. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So our episode today is based off a viewer's request from last week. Uh, I can't remember who asked about it or who said something about it, but somebody mentioned. Oh, yeah, who was that? I can't remember. Because uh, Friday night or whatever, I was like, hey, aren't we supposed to do like something about role play? And John's like, yeah, we are. You may remember. He's like, no. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> John's like, go watch the episode. I'm like, dang it. So that was my way of saying not it for watching the episode, by the way. Oh, hey, you know what, guys? More Than Dice is live right now. What? What? I know. Guys, More Than Dice is live. Excuse me. Let me me just mute that. 
Um, so, I can't remember who said it or whatever, but I did watch the episode and got to the part where I knew it was about. And we, someone had mentioned that they wanted to talk about different styles of jamming. And John was like, hey, we could do an entire episode about that. So we're going to do an entire episode about that. So here's an entire episode about that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about first. You know, it's interesting that you say GMing. Because I'm used to it being called being a DM. Um, But there's no dungeon in space. Correct. Which kind of makes the thing go that we are now... It's all game mastering now. Uh, yeah, even I mean, though it's a storyteller in one game, you know, something else in another game, so on and so forth. Or whatever. It's it's game mastering for fuck's sake. Yeah, it is. Uh, I just thought that was interesting because I'm used to saying, you know, DM. I, I like the title of storyteller. That gives the great, <clears throat> great, great uh, idea of what you're supposed to be doing. But I think games need to stop making funny names for their, for their referees, for their game masters, because... You, you don't want any confusion. No, you just I mean, D&D did it first. They said Dungeon Master. Okay, that's cool. It was thematic. It was 1970-whatever-the-fuck. It was okay. <laughs> Nowadays, stop. Just stop. Come on. It's just Call a spade a spade. The, the, the guy that's controlling the universe and is making sure that everybody tries to, you know, follow a story plot line. <laughs> I like storyteller. I think that's good. But, you know, I have no problem with Game Master either. Yeah. Most people yeah. don't care. I just thought it was interesting because I remember everybody, you know, was like, who's your DM? I'm like, oh. But it was just something I brought up. I don't know. We're not playing Dungeons and Dragons. We're not playing Dungeons and anything. See? That's exactly my thought went to. I'm like, uh, uh, no dungeon. This game ain't no dungeon master. Right? <laughs> and not every D&D game is about dungeons either. Uh, I've played a couple where there's been no dungeons, but there's very few and far between. A dungeon's got to show up somewhere. I'm going to play some D&D games without dragons. So, John and I have been running hey, games for a very, very long time. John. How long have you been running games? Um, fourth grade. Which is back in, what, 1974, 75? Wow! Hold on, let me get that oh, fucking knife out of my back. Jesus. <laughs> Stabbed it right in there. I was born in 1974. Give me a break. Uh, God sorry. damn. God. No, it was more like 1985-ish. Hooray, my computer is shutting down now. (laughs) You know I pressed the shutdown button like... Oh, your other one? An hour ago? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a problem. You have a problem. You have a problem. Thanks, Captain Mizzy. (laughs) I have been doing pretty much about the same amount of time as you have. Yeah. is when I started doing it too, because you know, what's funny is whenever I first started doing it, did you just try to recreate cool stories that you remember as a kid? Um, I was a kid. Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you're right. Uh, No, actually did not. My first ones were actually way more inventive than sort of the, the next wave of them. The next wave of them, we tried to do our take on our own, 
famous stories. It was uh, the first wave was all really unique shit. We just went crazy with it. Well, I mean, because I was re- I was reading an article uh, about GMing and stuff, and one of the things one of the articles I saw was how to take your GMing skill from just not recreating old stories to making your own stories and stuff. And I thought that was an interesting point because uh, we all man, that's like GMing one hundred two. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was just an interesting topic because, I mean, we all remember, oh, yeah, cool, I remember this movie where this guy did this, or, you know, this is the reason why I did this, is, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was part of, you know, why you got into role-playing games, because you wanted to act out and do cool things like they did, and, you know, the other stories that you read, and, you know, do cool things. And I was like, yeah, yeah. How many people, when they first started out, like, recreated part of, uh, like, The Hobbit? Or- Conan? Conan oh, I'm sure. or stuff Funny, like that. Yeah, but, there was but a lot sort of, of Conan. That, My brother and his friend tag teamed running one based off of Rush's uh, albums, mainly 2112. Ah, ah. Wow, that's next level nerdery. I appreciate mm. that. <laughs> Super nerdery. I appreciate that. Um, but I mean, honestly, it's so I agree with you. You don't want to just retell the stories you've seen on the movie, but Taking that out of your arsenal is silly because, I mean, all stories, I mean, what did Shakespeare say? There's only, what, seven types of stories? Something like that. So there's only so many stories you can tell. So liberally borrowing from other stories and then seeing where it goes. You can put your PCs in the exact same starting position as any movie or book you want to. They will not get to the same place the same way as the characters <laughs> in that book. I guarantee you. So, I mean, that's that's important, though. But you don't want to take that out of there. I mean, the whole reason I named the advent- the uh, the uh, Mediocre Trouble in the Big Easy that is because of a play on uh, Big Trouble in uh, Little China. Yeah, It was... To sort of give the idea that I'm just going to steal ideas from other action movies and we're going to see where they go. And that's that's an important part of your arsenal as a GM. You cannot leave any story thread like that. Like, oh, that's too that's too trite or too too done too often. No, fucking do it. Who cares? Especially if it makes it a good class. story. Yeah. Because it's, it's not about all that. I mean, so actually I think we need to back up and get to the... What I thought was the core of it was the different types of jamming because it sort of plays from there. Yeah. I just thought it was an interesting thing that I saw that they were like, most people when they start jamming, they just recreate stories from their childhood or recreate stories from, you know, the movies and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, I could see, you know. I mean, come on, there's been about six million comic books made and several billion books and movies after the Gazinga, you are going to come up with this idea that you think is the most unique. And someone's going to be like, oh, that happened in this uh, movie from 1963 starring some guy you've never heard of, directed by some guy you only did this one movie. And you'd be like, I'll take your word on that, dude. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. But it, yeah. If you're those people who are, you know, like, you guys are like my brother. I mean, I was 10 when I played my first game and it was my brother who was 11, who ran me through the dungeons because I kept begging him because I was watching him and his friends play. And when you're that age, all your stories are from a very limited amount of things. Mm -hmm. Because you just haven't been alive to see that much. You know, but 
his were often uh, more about uh, Greek mythology because he was familiar with that at that point. We had both read those books, but I can understand how, you know, even as kids, we're taking stuff from stuff we've read. Yeah. It's funny, my early games were a lot more interpersonal relationship stuff and then graduated to the more epic stuff. It was really weird. Like, our first games, and in case anyone's wondering, my first couple games were all sorts of crazy stuff. We did a lot of Robotech early on. And our Robotech was very Robotech. It was a lot about interpersonal relationships and occasionally blowing up the bad guy. <laughs> it, it was really odd. I don't remember a lot of it because it was a long, long fucking time ago. But, uh, and then, like, the next level of ones we got into more you know, larger stories and all, maybe even arcs and not just, you know, let's see what the fuck happens, you know? Yeah. Okay, so let's go, let's get to the different types of GMing. Um, John, what is your style of GMing? I'm a sandbox GM. And go ahead and elaborate because not everybody knows exactly. Not everyone knows what that is? Come on, guys. What? No, so while someone else might take, you know, a story thread or, you know, we'll have it all. It's really funny because you're going to be first even on the one we should be talking about last. But in any case, other people might have a broad arc thought up and all that. You know, you know, Gonzo knows exactly when Dawn of the Harbor is going to end in the next two sessions or so. He knows that. If we go back to Adventure of Sewer Bear, I don't know when it's going to end. I don't plan the ending point. I put the players in to a world that they can fully interact with. And then just, I just sort of see what the fuck they do. That's not to say there aren't, you know, arcs within that. But there's smaller arcs. It's, all right, you've got to deal with this thing. And they see how they deal with that thing. And then just sort of organically see where that goes to. Um, I've been doing that with. Uh, especially my Champions games, my superhero games, for a very long time, to the point where they all sort of take place in the same world. So there's a lot of carryover from game to game. So, you know, NPCs might show up again, stuff like that. But it gives them a very free... They're free to do whatever they, whatever they want. You know, I always say, you can do whatever you want. There will be consequences, but you can do whatever the hell you want. There's almost no railroading, which we'll get into later, um, or any of that. It's just, you know, do what you want. You eventually got to get there, or there's going to be consequences. If you, you know, I mean, if you only ignore the obvious clues leading you to a certain place that you have thing you should probably do, based on what your characters are, you can, but consequences. <laughs> so we call it sandbox. It's probably it's more like do what you want with consequences. Is probably a better way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, because like mine, I, I've I've evolved. Of course, we're not all just stagnant on our GMing and stuff. We're not all mm -hmm. one thing. I mean, our, my no. first one was like, hey, let's just explore the world and oh shit, you know, and just, you know, try to find out what happens. Uh, mm -hmm. Or just a complete dungeon crawl. Um, I've done where it's, you know, your sandbox. Here's my world. I give you a small bit of story. Let's see where you go with it. Yep. Um, lately, because uh, Donald Harbinger is one I've been running for a year and a half. Uh, I had a beginning, middle, and end point. And I told my players, I says, this is what I want to do. I want to start our story. I'm going to give you what the start is. And it's going to end. The story will eventually end. Either, you know, good guys, bad guys, whatever. Winning or losing. Uh, but it will have a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, and we will retire the characters. The story will be over. 
Uh, I think it's also a good thing to do, um, essentially, since we've been streaming. And it was just kind of a random, put-together group of people mm-hmm. that did this. Because I just put a shout-out on Facebook who'd be interested. And, you know, people are like, hey, I would be. Um, and so it's pretty much... Um, it, it, it's, it's a plot written out. I wrote out the plot, wrote out the basis of stuff that needed to be done when it was going to happen. So if the players decided to go off on a tangent and go, Hey, we're going to go search for this Jedi artifact and they go off crazy. The bad guys are not going to stop what they're doing. They're not going to go mm, time out. The good guys are going off on to go find this cool artifact. We can't go raid another base. So hold on. Um, so the bad guys are still going to do what the bad guys are going to do, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, that's the way Dawn of Harbinger is done. Everything's down to a plot line. Um, now, things changed. Uh, you know, having, you know, a character die, new characters come in. None of that, you know, I wouldn't say changed the plot, but it didn't derail everything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so... I like that kind of storytelling for like over internet or, you know, whatever plan. Cause there's, there's an end point and people like an end point. So they're not just like, what are we going to do this week? Raid another dungeon. Well, it's fine for in person too, because yes. uh, I liken that to uh, the way Straczynski wrote Babylon five. He had a beginning point. He knew where it was going to end and you knew the characters involved in some major plot beats, but he didn't fill in the rest. He just sort of let it go organically to a point. Correct. He'd write a season and let it go from there. And he wrote, and this is something I would say all GMs should do, have ideas for how to get each of your characters out if they need to eject from a plot like that. If you know it's going to take you know a year or two to go through your game, have outs so the players don't feel like they're shoehorned in or you don't miss a lot of sessions or something. Think about uh, think about that when you're making it. It's, it's an important note to that style of it, which is... Uh, so I would not call that necessarily... You, you sort of like scripted GM, but not... Uh, I'd call it scripted GMing that, you know, the, the way you're running it. You have a script, a plot, you want it to go a certain way, but you're not going to force them to go that way. Correct. It's not, nothing is forced. Nobody is... You have to do this. You have to do that. Um I'm I'm I'm, gonna, I'm leaving some of this stuff out because we are going to be try to do a episode where I bring the cast on and we talk and I kind of let some secrets fly that sure. they don't know about um, and things that they haven't. Well, there's out. always stuff. That's the thing about a game is there's always stuff going on in the background and it's good to keep notes of this as a GM tip of what your villains are doing if they're not interacting with the players if they're important to that. Um, you know you. Uh, you need to make notes like, okay, you know, Lord Dyer hasn't shown up for a couple of whiles and he was a big thing. What's he doing in the meantime, just so you keep track of that? Correct. I, I, and that's okay. what I do. The, like the, the Don of the Harbinger, the Sith aren't just like waiting around. <laughs> Not quite as annoying as a Stephen Moffat Doctor Who arc there, Kathy. <laughs> Close. That's a different. I would actually say that a Stephen Moffat Doctor Who arc is part of what we would call the next type of jamming, which is the. The kind of GM who runs a pre-planned adventure, you know, a pre-packaged adventure. Oh, I thought you were going to say convoluted as fuck. <laughs> no, no, because actually, honestly, Moffat stuff is all, it's very railroady. It's very like, there's only really one way to go. And that's sort of uh, an interesting style. And it's all the pre-made adventures are like that, because you can't write all that into an adventure. 
I ran a bunch of people through all of the core D&D 4th edition scenarios. From 1st level to 30th level. All the way through. Uh, it was a great time, but it's rarity as fuck. And it's not... It's a good once-in-a-while thing, but I don't like it in general. Because, you know, we got to a point that I always remember where they need to get into the giant's uh, stronghold, and it's sort of like, basically you're expected to bully your way in and just start killing everyone. Well, the halfling was like, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get to open the door. He's like, he just walks up, he's like, food? And they're like, oh man, this little guy's gave me food. Fuck yeah, I'm taking food. And then they <laughs> murdered them all, but they got surprised. It's little things like that. Um, by the same encounter, I knew it was going to happen in Adventure because someone else was running the same one that we'd run, and I was playing dumb. But we killed the people who come to kill us. So I'm like, we're going to disguise ourselves as them to get an advantage on this. Because we took one alive, got all the information. But when we got there, the GM just ran the adventure out of the, out of the module. Nothing about, you know, hey this or whatever. You just, none of this your surprise work. Or, oh, hey, they don't care that you surprised them because they were going to kill these people anyways. Just ran it like it was just, a, you know, any other combat. And I'm like, that's that's kind of annoying. You know, we took time to plan stuff. You should at least give us the lip service of saying, oh, we were going to kill you guys anyways. Because that's a good reveal, you know. It's, you know, you, you do a little bit of talking with the, with the bad guys. And then they go like, oh, we were going to kill you anyways. And we're kind of impersonating them. Die. Make, make the players feel like they did something. Well, Even if it ends up being the same end result, you run the same combat that you're going to that's listed in the damn damn module anyways do a little extra it's part of being gming you, you can start off with a pre-made adventure but you're gonna have to improvise once in a while well i mean okay mizzy brought up something uh i do a lot of plot twists in mine um but star wars lends to it very well um and these are all kind of things that were built in now we did have a character die um, and I talked to the character, I talked to the person that was running the character, and I said, hey, this is what I have going on. What do you want to do? Uh, now, this is a story plot. If you want to have it, um, you can do it this way or this way. Uh, how do you want to go with this? Mm -hmm. And uh, she was like, no, I like where you're going. Let it go. It makes a great story. It makes a great, fun, entertaining. And, you know, a character died. And it was a well, big shocker. Everybody's like, well, shit, someone actually died. And then she didn't. She came back as a Sith. And so it was a, a big fuck you moment. And actually, when we ran it, uh, we did it at a War Machine Weekend uh, and last year. And I actually had the person that was playing the character replay the character as a Sith in the story and you know do everything and it was interesting to watch the players react to her role-playing a brought back character from the dead and there was actually true emotion from their faces because they were like shit you know they weren't expecting it and it was actually pretty interesting and uh becca was actually you know almost on the edge of tears because she was like this is really fucking cool um but i also like doing big wow plot twists you know big things that you know shake up uh things that you know you wouldn't expect i'm not going to uh, what we call space cow a character uh just kill your character just to kill your character 
Uh, I like uh, heroes or characters to have a dramatic effect, have something happen, make it done really cool. Um, doesn't mean characters can't just die because they get shot to death or, you know, a lightsaber goes through their body. But I, I, I never want sure. that because this is a, 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 something that GMs get really good at is flubbing dice rolls and flubbing damage and flubbing, you know, certain things so it doesn't spoil or ruin the adventure. <clears throat> well, yeah, because it is cooperative. And I'm going to go into two points. One is uh, anyone who listened to the adventure of Sewer Bear knows that at one point Sewer Bear was possessed by a demon and evil. That was actually the player's idea. I hadn't attempt, I hadn't intended that, but the player mentioned it. And it was too good not to go with, yeah. and that's sort of the same thing like Gonzo did, where you, if you know something that's going to happen, you can, you can go with the, the player and ask them. But if the player brings up something like that. Um, that's a big note, and we'll talk about it a little later when we can talk some some GM uh, notes. The other one is killing players. Yeah, you want players to die nobly and heroically, but it all depends on the game you're in. Certain games? So we're, yeah. So the uh, uh, mediocre trouble in the Big Easy is Feng Shui, and Feng Shui has supposed to be both. It it is very f- lenient on you taking damage and healing and all that. There's not this in between healing or anything. But if you fail a check at the end of the game, you're dead. <laughs> it's meant to be that way, like an action movie. I mean, Banyan's lost two characters. Uh, you know. Uh, one just because he couldn't fall down unconscious in the middle of a camp that was about to get uh, avalanched upon because there was no one to pull him out of that. Well, it it happens games... sometimes. Yeah. We had a guy who who cast uh, earthquake in the middle of a mountain, and the rest of us were able to teleport away. It was his heroic thing. He was trying to do this thing, and of course, you know, you don't survive a mountain collapsing on you. Yeah. Every uh, heroic death I've tried to initiate upon one of my PCs has not worked. And I'm not sure if it's because of DM's flubbing dice rolls. I know at least once the DM did not flub die rolls. He, he's like, look, I'm probably going to kill your character. I think you know that, but let's do it above board so you know I'm not just fucking with you. And his dice just went to shit. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> I want to say it was first level Paladin. I had one hit point left. And we rounded the corner to a bunch of... Uh, crossbowmen and i just charged them i i did the han solo charge figuring i'll buy some time for everything to get away i'm like i'm just gonna run at him and dive into them all my limbs akimbo and knock them all over and i like 19 to hit so knock a bunch of them over and they're all trying to hit me and they're all just not hitting so i mean that kind of stuff can happen both ways but uh, as Gonzo said, flub and rolls is a DM's one of the DM's jobs. Sometimes you got to take those rolls that are completely off the chain, and uh, you're gonna have to say they didn't happen. Well, I, I, I do to suggest to... GM screen, but uh, sometimes just flub it in person. Yeah. You, you come up with a good excuse. Uh, one of the topics that you uh, you mentioned that I think we should touch real quick is certain games are meant to be deadly. Uh, yes, Legend of the Five Rings is one that's right off the bat. You're Deadlands. just a human. <laughs> You're supposed, it is supposed to be a deadly game. Uh, Call of Cthulhu, you know, game, there are games that... It's the poster child, Uh, Tunnels and Trolls is is another one, Paranoia. Yeah. Like any game where it tells you to have multiple characters ready because you go and die, I mean, just (laughs) get used to it. But those are different experiences, and I, Call of Cthulhu definitely is true role-playing. I'm not sure would call Paranoia true role-playing. 
just because it's meant to be more of a party role-playing game. But, I mean, certain games, they tell you, you know, your character is not superhuman. You can't just drink a potion and heal up, you know. Uh, Deadlines, like Kathy was saying, it's, it's not always going to be, you know, saving potions and, you know, coming back from the dead. It's, mm-hmm. oh, shit, you got shot in the chest? You're human. You're dead. Yeah, I mean, yes. Sometimes it happens. Uh, I've had people, you know, I've had very few characters die in D&D, but it happens once in a while. Mm-hmm. Mostly to Banium. Happens mostly to Jack in our games. Jack or, uh, Jack or Eric. And I've actually put myself in harm's way expecting to die and come out surviving somehow. Um, conversely, in our Champions games, I... I believe I've only killed one character, and he was noble sacrificing himself, and he didn't stay dead because it's a comic book. Nope, two. I did kill <laughs> Dusk also, but that was warranted. He's an asshole, and he came back too. <laughs> but I mean, like I said, there, there are certain games that you're going to die. Your characters are going to be facing stuff that's just going to kill you, and there's nothing you can do about it because that's the way the game system is set up. Like I said, Call of Cthulhu, Legend of the Five Rings is that way. There's a lot yeah. of different games where it's... Your characters aren't meant to grow old. No. No, growing old's not really going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and actually, that's a good point of a game, and I feel like too many games nowadays don't point this out. There's one thing I love about Champions. It may be one of the crunchiest games out there. People will make algebra and fucking calculus jokes about it. Whatever. One of the things it does well is when you are making a campaign, it's got a worksheet where you say, how deadly is this game? And you check it. So that way you can tell your players exactly how deadly that game's going to be. Be like, we're playing four-color superhero. You ass ain't dying. If you die, you ain't staying dead. Don't worry about that none. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you can go the other way and you can have the ultra dark. You know, you get the sort of... Uh... Shadowrun is always a game that I thought was supposed to be deadly, but the rules were lenient enough that it was actually really slightly difficult to get killed. Yeah. Um, but Shadow on a couple in a second when we talk about another type of GM. Because, um, you know, we've gone through my sort of uh, sandbox world, Gonzo's sort of basic script GM, and then you've got the the railroad, railroader or, you know, running a module. Because you can make an adventure that literally you script out everything that's going to happen. Yeah. Like Sometimes said, you can't just because you know your PCs are going to react to things, but other times that you just do that because it run that is the most intuitive way to do it. It's like a book, any story, or like any of the pre-scripted novels. They don't have options. You also, do X and Y. I also think certain RPGs lend well to different ways to GM. <laughs> like to me, I think the Star Wars one does really well with a scripted story. But an adventure, you know, D&D type one, I mean, it, it, it lends more easier to the sandbox or superhero. But I mean, I think it all depends on what you plan on doing as a GM. Are you going to make this a continuation until everybody's dead? Or are you looking to do a story arc with just XYZ? Mm-hmm. And, and that was sort of the, the thing. That, so the, the sort of the, the fourth of your style GM is sort of like, not necessarily a separate style, but it's sort of like the episodic guy. Yeah. He's going to have an episode. It's not going to be railroady or anything like that. You're free to do whatever you want within the confines of the episode. And then after the episode, you're done. 
and you and whoever comes back comes back for the next episode. Uh, Shadowrun, like I just mentioned, runs a lot like that with the different runs you're doing. Um, yeah, because you know, you did. whoever shows up shows up. You play for however many sessions it is for that, and then maybe people go off and play every game, and different people come in. You know that kind of thing. We uh, at our uh, old gaming group, let's call it our game club. People would come in, play for a while, and some people would go off and play something else for a bit. You know, maybe like I'm gonna do board games for a couple weeks or something else like that. And then other people would jump in, and you would just have a run with that. And there wasn't a lot of there was little bits of continuity, but not big swaths of continuity. Uh, and that isn't a legit way to run a game. I mean, if you think about a lot of the stories, like even superhero stories, they're mostly episodic. The con- continuities come a little more into it nowadays. But, I mean, back in the day, it was almost all episodic. You may have two issues that, you know, bleed together, maybe three, worst case, six in a run. And then after that, it's back to a couple one-off stories. Yeah. And you can run games like that. You used to have to, especially if you're doing it in a game store or something like that, or in a group where there's a lot of people who might show up or might not show up. And uh, it's just another interesting way to run it. You You know, it's not full sandbox. You all have sort of ways to get people into it. And in fact, honestly, in some of those games, it is sort of railroading how you get into the game. You know, Shadowrun is the best example as you're all, you know, Mr. Johnson or whatever contact you have is contacting you looking to for you to do work. You know, the mercenary or the military campaigns work like that because the boss comes and tells you you gotta do something. It's a military, you gotta do something. Yeah. And I actually feel like Star Wars would run well like this also. Because it is at its heart, in a lot of cases, a military game. Because you are part of a, I mean, the Rebel Alliance is a military, even if it is a very non-standard one. So you can run it like that as well. Uh, Moondoggy was talking also um, that uh, convention gaming. Like if you're running a yep. game at a convention, you have to mm-hmm. build it, you know, as like a four-hour episode. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah, you want a one-off kind of a thing. Yeah. So It's um, got to be vaguely railroady, which is unfortunate, but, I mean, it, you expect that going to a campaign game. Yeah, when you go in, when you go to a convention, you're not expecting to take this character with you to you know convention two I've, or convention three. I've played a character four times in one convention at four different sessions because that was how it was made. Um, but uh, that's not here. There. I, but that's not to say that those have to be fully railroady. No, uh, we played in one, and I'm gonna date myself. Back at we played the Palladium Fantasy role playing game in a. At Atlanticon in whatever, 19 whatever, 1980, whatever. Not 82, good lord. 92, 72, whatever. Probably 90, actually. I would say probably 90, 91 area. But I played in that, and it was cool in a certain way. And then I was in the same room, uh, because they were all rooms split into two, with that GM and another group later, because I was playing Shadowrun, and we were sort of at a, a lull point. We're like, okay, we're resetting everything for that. You guys got a couple minutes to... And I was chatting with the GM because he was... The parent players were planning way too much. And that game went completely different than the one we had played, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But just, just goes to show how even if something is vaguely railroady, you don't have to keep it that way. You can have tracks that branch off. Um, I would look at it more like a, like a street map. You can make it like a street map where you go to this intersection, you can go certain ways. You don't have full. You can't walk any point of the compass, but you can go this way or this way or that way. You can go straight left or right. 
you know. And you can plan like that. I have a lot of them where I plan like that, but I'll be honest. I jokingly share all those things on Twitter where it's like, uh, you know, uh, where they ask, you know, how, how do you plan so much? It's like, that's my secret. I never plan. And that's my secret. I don't plan. I make vague outlines of what the fuck's going to happen, but I don't make plans. Not for years. Not since one guy, we did something that I thought was normal. And he goes, all right, hold on. And rips like four pages out of his notebook, crumbles up, throws them in the garbage. Like, well, that shit you just bypassed. I'm like, oh, shit. That was a lot of work you did there. <laughs> So, we're going to talk about one other style of GMing that I always hear of and always cracks me up the Monty Hall GMer. Oh, yeah. That's the GM more wanting to be a player and get all the stuff he is. He's living vicariously through the players. <laughs> and I would say that's actually more of a subtype because you can do that in anything where you want them to get all the good gear and all that. Oh, you know, you're playing uh, the Robotech role playing game. You guys are going to get Shadow Fighters and all the best stuff ever because he just, that's what he wants to see. Um, that's fine. It, it's a fine different type. You can you guys get lots of magic items, and that's cool to a point. The players are gonna have a lot of fun with logic magic items. But that's, you have the, to... that's the person who thinks that the the players are are heroes or superheroes, so they should have the, the the things that a hero would have, so that they can do all the heroic stuff. Absolutely, I would say erroneously think that based off of maybe old D and D novels and shit like that. When really, if you look at the classic fantasy stories, I mean, what does Conan have that's magic? Maybe his sword, probably not. What else does he need? Nothing. He's Conan. The stories are about Conan, not about some crazy barbarian with a plus five. You just it's it's not the equipment that makes the character. Yes. And it's an important note, even if you are, you can Monty Hall, and it can still be about the character, not the equipment. Uh, uh, I'll get off my soapbox in a second, but that's what I liked about 4th edition D&D is it wasn't necessarily about the equipment, it was about what your character did, unlike 3rd edition where it was a lot of, I'm a fighter with a plus 5 sword. What do you do? I do my feats in plus 5 sword. <laughs> and it's important that you that you make that distinction between what your characters can, what your characters are, and what their gear is. You know, at the end of the day, you can be whatever, but if, if it becomes... I have the, you know, plus five sniper rifle of doom, and that's all I am. You may need to rethink what you're doing. You're not playing the character. You're playing equipment. Yeah, you're playing equipment. And if you ever get to that point, you need to back up and figure out what you're doing. It is, it's a problem in some games, not in others. I mean, some games, like, I mean, honestly, playing feng shui, it's like, yeah, your gun is a collection of, like, four stats. That's it. We don't fucking care. You can probably pick up another gun that does the exact same thing. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> they handle ammo vaguely. It doesn't matter. And, and that's important because it's about the character, what the character does, not what the, the equipment is. And you got to be careful to make sure that that, never, that one never overtakes the other. I would say more so for something like D&D or Shadowrun or Cyberpunk more than anything else. Um, going back on the uh, topic of story, there, um, as we know, there was a problem that happened at uh, a gaming convention where someone did something very inappropriate. Uh, the UK was, one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where I think whenever you're as a GM, you need to have a conversation with your players. How adult, and I put quotations around that, adult 
is this campaign? Is this campaign going to have adult type well, things? Well, I think that's part of the part of the like I was saying about the the lethality. That all goes hand in hand. Yeah. Things that are more lethal are going to be more adult in general. And to sort of play devil's advocate on that, what they did at that campaign is never okay. No, no, no. But I I, I wanted to bring it up because there yeah. are people that have like. I had uh, I ran an Earthdawn campaign, one of my greatest campaigns I've ever run. Loved it, and this person had their character have an abortion, um, which was their choice about what they wanted to do, and they were like, "Oh, that goes a little too far." I says, "Well, that's up to the player, not to me." I didn't have a problem that's with it. That's not entirely true. You're you're, you're involved in it, and, and Jim's part of this. You may have different power than the players but you're still involved in the campaign it, it still has to be something that you're enjoying and you have to be enjoying the content if right. the players are getting too far afield from where you are you need to rein them in again but i didn't have a problem with it because i knew what she was why the why the reason it was happening and stuff and i was like okay i can see this this isn't this isn't i'm doing this just to make a shock value i'm doing this because it fits the character Honestly, if you're going to have a character get pregnant, you have to be prepared for all the things a character is going to do with that. Yes. And I would say that in most games, that is not something that ever comes up. No, but I mean, it did come up. Most games, it's like James Bond. He beds them and leaves them, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Or well, I, mean, I, I actually prefer the, the, the Captain Kirk ones. Lights <laughs> fade. Lights come up, you're putting your boots back on. Yeah. What happened? We know what happened. We don't need to see anything. But this and, and birth with... control is a magic thing. <laughs> but this came up because it was a, it's a fantasy setting, and the character was like, I want to go, and I'm going to date this other fairy that's the same as me. I like him. I'm going to have sex with him. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. It builds story. We didn't go into detail. It, it was like the put on the boots thing. And she was like, um, I have a question, though. Um, what's my chance of getting pregnant? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I've never even thought about that. She goes, why don't you look up and th think about it and look up in no. the story? And if it's something you want to do, go for it. I don't have a problem with it. It's no, I, I, I would say that was, as soon as someone asks that, I'm like, eh, nah, if your character <laughs> doesn't want it, it's not going to happen well, because that's not good storytelling. That, yeah. But, but she wanted to make sure that it was something that could happen. Not that it was like. <laughs> It, it could, but you have to want it. Like, yes. so here's the most okay with it. She, she, look at this. It wasn't. It was all in her hands on how she wanted to do it, and I didn't care either way because it but was her. There are words. other players at the table, and I mean, if they oh, get yeah. uncomfortable, yeah, they, they weren't. That's what I'm saying. That's the reason why I think you need to make sure you talk to your group. Yeah. And you got very lucky with that because it could have very easily happened. I would not touch that with a ten foot pole in one of my games. The well, standard ten foot comes in the adventurer's kit. All of us were really good friends. We actually worked together, you know, so we were all, you know, pretty pretty good with each other. So it wasn't that. John, so I, my local group, I'm really close with. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring it up with them. It's, it is fraught with danger. Um, but I would say it's important is stuff like that should only happen if your PCs want it for a plot point. Correct. And it should never become anything more than something they want to happen for a reason. It should never be forced. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And it wasn't. That's, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't forced. It was what the character wanted, wanted what the player wanted. But she wanted to make sure that this was something that could happen because she found out that only creatures like this were fertile during certain times. Because she was really into the backstory and the history of her character 
as a race uh, and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to cast aspersions on your player, but <laughs> she has something else going on. There's something else there because I've been doing this for a long time. Ain't one person, male or female, ever given a thought to that in the slightest. <laughs> but, but it came down to that I didn't care because and, it didn't bother me. But and also, to remember that the rules are just they're guidelines. Yes, they are. As a GM, if you don't like the rule, if you don't think it fits, just throw that shit out the window. It don't matter. Yeah. You guys are playing the game, you know, and that happens from time. And it's it's there are two things, two main things I get from a lot of the GMing books and guides I read, and one is you know the rules don't matter. You want rules because your players you know what they can and can't do. But at a certain point, as soon as a rule becomes more problem than it's worth, just get it the fuck out of there. It, is why I don't like not... games like that have excessive rules. You know, you get the uh, uh, fuck is it, roll master? You know, fucking chart master, which got everything on a chart. If it's got a special rule for everything. You need to throw that game away. I'm sorry. I mean, if you're liking it, you're liking it. You can probably find something simpler, better. Um, there are certain things that don't need rules. Like, even though Champions has rules for a ton of things, I don't fucking use them most of the time. I don't even know environmental conditions. They're all optional. It's like, if you want to add this in because you want that level of realism, here it is. You don't got to use it. Yeah. It's like GURPS. GURPS is great for that. GURPS is like, here's our basic rule set. Do you want to add more rules? Cool, here's the other rules you can add. You don't want to? Don't fucking add them. Yeah. And the other big one I want to get in to make sure we get is just don't say no to your players and I want to do something unless it's absolutely the craziest, stupidest thing you've ever heard. Say yes and assign the difficulty. Find the difficulty. Uh, that, that's one of the things that some people have a hard time grasping as GMs. You don't say no. You go, yeah, sure, but this is what you're going to be for doing that. Do you still want to proceed? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, do you want to Let do that? Your I mean, players get in trouble. Me remember the rule of cool abide. Someone asked on Twitter, uh, not that long ago, like I've got a guy who wants to use a it was a swashbuckler who wants to use a rapier and then a, a little hand crossbow. Um, should I put a penalty because he's trying to reload it while he's got a rapier in his hand? I'm like, no, just fucking hand wave it. No one cares. If you think that's important, then sure, at that point it's important. Like if it's an armed cripple or something, maybe it's important. But are you going to penalize the archer for the same thing? No, fucking no one cares. The rule of cool. Someone's running around, firing a hand crossbow, and swinging a rapier. That's awesome. Go with that shit. And that's the, the thing, you know. If someone thinks it's if it becomes a problem, then you start looking at it. But until then, yeah, no one cares. Yeah, well, there's Just, actually quite a few things nowadays that actually give you good bonuses for the rule of cool uh, that help yeah. in uh, like the star Wars RPG. You, you know, you've, you can fail, but still succeed at your action because you've got the, you know, I'm going to do this and this and this. You and can fail at your, your goal and still get something out of it. Yes. Um, I think was you it can... seven C's. Um, Cause it's about uh, seven C had something like that. Yeah. Um, it's hard to find games that are like that because it's, it took weird dice, thank you, FFG, to make something like that really work. But, I mean, other games, and even games that don't use them, uh, for example, Champions does not use a degree of how well you succeeded inherently. You either succeed or you fail. There are no half measures. I throw that shit out. For the most part, I need to know how much you succeed by, because that makes other people trying to do against you 
difficult. And that's just the fact that the Champions is based off a game from the fucking 1980s. And while it's been evolved multiple times since then, it's still at its core that same game from the 1980s. Well, because one of the things I've done personally in mine, uh, in pretty much any game that I run, is if you go, hey, I'm just going to swing my sword at this monster and try to hit it. Okay, standard type roll. Uh, someone goes, I'm going to swing my sword at this monster, but I want to be able to, you know, and they describe something cool that they're going to do. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, let's see. You're pretty dexterous. Yeah, I could see you doing that. Uh, I'll give you a bonus to hit because that's entertaining. It provides something to the story, and it's just not me going miss, miss, hit, hit, you know, type thing. Well, it, it, uh, it adds and puts more creativity into what we're doing and makes the game more interesting, in my opinion. In a similar and harsher manner, Feng Shui, if the first couple times you say, oh, I just shoot him, sure, it's cool. If you keep saying that, you will get a penalty because that's not cool. <laughs> You're like, that's boring. Do something cool. Like, I'm going to, you know, leap over this table, flip it for cover, and pop a couple shots out of it. I'm like, all right, well, fuck yeah, that's awesome. You know, and, and game, sometimes games need that because long combats and be honest, many games have a long combat mm -hmm. because it's the one thing a game has never been able to work out quickly because the amount of dice rolls and decisions need to be made, it always is going to make it longer for combat than other stuff. Um, because long combats get boring as fuck if you're just like, all right, I'm a, I'm a fighter, I, I swing my sword. I mean, that's what I hate about D&D. No offense to D&D players. D&D is a fun game in general, but if you're a fighter, you swing your fucking sword. What do you do this turn? Swing my sword. I swing my sword. That's what I liked about, say, 4th edition, or even late 3rd uh, edition where they had some other things. I'm going to use this maneuver. I'm going to use this maneuver. You know, even if you only get a handful of maneuvers, you've got things you can do that are not just swing my sword. Like, I'm even if it's just I swing my sword offensively, you know, giving up, you know, armor class to hit better, or I swing defensively trying to make this a longer battle and, you know, just hold monsters in my area. There's more to it, and, I mean, people remember, classic D&D. Remember, D&D's only on a 5th edition, and it was from the 70s. For Christ's sakes, Shadowrun's on fucking 5th edition or 6th edition. I fucking forget. 6th edition, right? <laughs> yeah, I think mean, that's what it is. And that's from the late 80s. So keep in mind, with a lot less editions means it hasn't gone through as much revisions of their games. So... It's not it's not as polished. They haven't figured out all the little things that make it that need to make it better than it is. So it's little stuff like that. And even and if your PC's to go above and beyond, you need to give them bonuses if the game's not requiring it, you know? Like I try and you know, I'm playing and it's rare. Um well the last game I played I think was uh Through the Breach. I try and do things in a cool manner just because it makes me happy, and if I get a bonus, I get a bonus. If I don't, I don't. Um, and it's just for fun. And if you give me a bonus, it's awesome. But you should sort of, especially if you find your combat's getting stale, try and encourage that. If someone starts doing cool stuff, you start giving them bonuses, people will start thinking, how do I get bonuses? Because people love bonuses. I've always liked that style of GM who, uh, who gives a bonus when they don't have to. Or like in Deadlands, gives you a, a poker chip for doing something cool or extra role playing or, or something you know or they give you we had somebody who ran Shadowrun and we give you extra experience for uh, hilarious comic relief or other role playing things 
things that increase. <laughs> I will give you a PowerPoint for anything in Shadowrun. Jesus, don't give me. We we had a game where we sat down at the table to play. People just made up their characters, and one of the guys there was like, "We're going around interesting." He's like, "I'm like, what's your character's name?" He's like, "Your name is Wraith," and Wraith is what he named his D and D character. So he's reusing a name. I was like, "Groan," and one of the players is like, "No, I believe you'll find your name is Butt Wraith." <laughs> and he looks down, because, and it wasn't like an actual sexual joke. It's because he always says "butt." <laughs> looks down. He's like, "It's written on my character sheet." I'm like, all right, that's for the cover point. He's like, like, it's in pen. I'm like, that's also a cover point. (laughs) There's stuff like that. I'm happy to give it. I love it when games have experience doesn't mean as much. You know, that's one of the problems with Feng Shui is Feng Shui experience, like, is, like, you don't get experience. You either level up or you don't, so to speak. They call it awesome so that's not as good. But on the other hand, something like Champions, where you get a character point, uh, you know, experience points is equal to one character point. Well, you start off with like fucking 400 of them. One point doesn't make a god band or a bit of difference. So I don't mind giving one out for that. And then Shadow, when you need so much to do anything, giving out a card point's cool. I, I like that. It's, um, but we also we use uh, luck chits, which are poker chits that do things in game. I've been revising them for years now. We haven't actually used them in a while because it doesn't seem like it fits Feng Shui, but always in-game and role-playing stuff. There's, you know, some effects where it's like you add this thing to the environment that you might need. Like, you don't have to ask, is there a mop and bucket? Like, yeah, there's a mop and bucket there. You spent the luck, you, the luck chit. You got a mop and bucket there because you wanted a mop and bucket there. Oh, that's what, that's what um, Star Wars does. You have force points. Oh, uh, yes. crap, I forgot. We need hazmat suits. Flip a force point, you got your hazmat suits. We had things like that playing the uh, Dresden Files game. It was in the Fate system. Mm-hmm. Where if you if you do something cool enough, the DM will give you a, a chit for, you know, to use later as some sort of a bonus to work to be worked in later. Yeah, and, and I'd use ones that are different colors for different effects, but I feel like just having them just be chits. I'm going to turn in a chit for this, you know, because I feel like we need this advantage right now. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a bad idea, and you reward people for doing stuff. Cool. I'm, uh, I'm probably gonna work on that for whatever my next game. Maybe. I think it really gets people more thinking about the uh, the character and the role playing instead of just doing the I attack, I attack. Yeah, you know, like you know, a lot of times you, you're they're self centered. I mean, we can well, we can turn this into another role playing cast. So <laughs> <laughs> we're actually almost done. But that's ruling. House ruling, yeah. There's a there's a whole other thing on that, and there's a lot you can do there, and a lot you should. Yeah, yeah. If, if a rule doesn't make sense, why use it? Yeah, if a rule doesn't make sense, why use it? And always say yes and assign difficulty. Yeah, that was that was the one thing that I, I've seen because I've had friends that are like, "Hey, I want to run a campaign," and I'm like, "Okay, cool, good. I want to play." And uh, I was like, "Try to do something." He's like, "No, you can't do that." I'm like, "Why?" Like you're right, there isn't a reason why you shouldn't be able to do that. I'll let you so, get in trouble for it. <laughs> I'll actually go one up uh, and and bring work into this because this is funny. Uh, it's the same thing we follow in customer service. Don't say no and shut them down. Tell them instead what they can do. You know, it's not like I can't do that. Tell them what you can do. Yeah. It's it's that kind of thing. Like I want to, you know. Leap off the chandelier and flip over the stairwell and do this. I'm like, well, you can't do that because of this, but you can do this. Yeah. You know, turn to that or just say, sure, you can do that. And here's your difficulty. 
and your consequences. <laughs> and what happens if you fail? Yep. And sometimes it's not worth it. You can go like, um, you can make two checks for that. I mean, we can. We should probably go into a whole nother one in a little bit, maybe after Warfare Weekend, uh, two weeks after Warfare Weekend. Might we do another uh, one on house rules and stuff for role-playing, because we don't do enough role-playing topics. No, we don't. But I mean, that's something, I mean, it was brought up last week, so we decided to talk about it. That's the reason yeah. why we ask you all if you all want to talk about something. So there you go, Gonzo. I'm telling you to pencil this in for two weeks after Warfare Weekend, because you know after Warfare Weekend you're going to be talking about it. Isn't that We're going to talk about house rules. No. I don't know. No, no I don't Thanksgiving know. Thanksgiving's is, on a Thursday anyway, so who cares? It's also, like, way late in the, in November, because it's the 28th. Oh, perfect. So Warfare Weekend's, what, the 8th? Yes, 8th or the 10th. Yeah, so we'll be talking about on the 24th, so before Thanksgiving. Bam! Calendar! <laughs> yes, Andrew, exactly. Falls flat on face, accidentally shoots bad guy critically. Remember, just because you fail the first part of the roll doesn't mean you don't get the second roll. <laughs> You're just going to have to do something else with that. It's like, oh, I missed the chandelier. Well, while I'm falling, instead of uh, swinging my, my rapier, I'm going to fling a dagger at that guy. There you go. I'm sure, do it. <laughs> Maybe you get the crit. Maybe not. Who knows? Just keep it fun. Well, with that, with that, now it is time for our media section. Uh, I'm going to go and leave it on this screen because I don't want to try to fix Kathy's camera. We'll just leave it on this one for the media section. (laughs) Terrible jokes. Oh, my God. No. Just slacking. Um, John, how many you got this week? Uh, Two? Three? Two movies and uh, comic books. Uh, I have two movies and just some quick TV show stuff. So, I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter should know what those movies are. Uh, let me go with I'm my... To- <laughs> Kathy, do you have anything? I should say. I, I'm totally unprepared because I, I halfway wasn't expecting to um, even be here tonight. Well, so, Did you watch anything? I watched a couple of Hammer Horror movies because they were doing a marathon last weekend, but I honestly don't remember the names except for one had Frankenstein in it and one had Dracula. Well, they're Hammer Horror movies, so you sort of throw in the dartboard <laughs> and that's... It was, yeah, and it was all, oh, it's Peter Cushing. Oh, it's Christopher Lee. So again, they're Hammer Horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> um... So I'll go with some of my TV stuff ones. Um, one of the shows that I watched and it just ended um, was Ballers. Um, has The Rock in it uh, and it is about football players and sports and professional sports. Uh, if you've watched it, you know what it's about. It's, it's, it's actually pretty decent. Um, it talks about sports industries, so on and so forth. Uh, and the series finale was this uh, last week, I believe it was. And as a series, it was okay. There wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, groundbreaking, earth shattering or whatever. You can tell that they were like, hey, we just need to end it before we start jumping the shark. Uh, because I also talked about esports because I had a professional football player that was like, I don't want to play football anymore. I want to play esports. And so he, like, almost quit all of his football contracts to play, you know, like a League of Legends type esport. And at the very end, like the last episode, he's like, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go back to play football. I'm like, so this whole season, this whole esport thing that you were so desperately involved with, 
You just blew it off at the end because you'd rather go back and play football. It was just kind of unrealistic in the way they handled it. Um, it. I'll tell you that the really cool thing was all the awesome sports cars and elaborate places and all the cool little things that they had and all oh, that that one percent lifestyle. Yes. Um, it was maybe not even one percent. They're more like the two percent. But anyways, yeah. but still, you guys. Saw, I mean, it was it was interesting. There wasn't any bad acting in it. It wasn't you know it wasn't a horrible. Didn't have anything bad. It's just it was just okay. Um, but if you like you know the behind the scenes look of uh, sports ball, and uh, because I deal with agents and players and owners and all that stuff, it was okay. Uh, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, if you like it, if that's type of your thing. Go ahead and finish watching it and or start it. Uh, the Rock's really cool in it. He's, uh, I mean, it's The Rock. Yeah, he he does yeah. really good in it. I like his character. Um, <laughs> the, so. the only reason I'm not talking more about The Rock is because I'm doing that for Penny with John talking about The Rock stuff. <laughs> we'll get back. We'll switch it up. I'll talk about The Rock here and something else over there. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, it, it was okay. Um, but I can't. I mean, as a series, it's just eh, two space RPs. So it, wasn't, it wasn't bad. Better than your average series? Better, better, better than your average series, I will say that much. Okay. So, John? Well, if anyone was paying attention last week, uh, I went and saw Alien in the theater with uh, actually my team at work. My team at work and my boss and one member of my team. Uh, one was leaving town, one had something else going on, the other one had something else going on. So it was not as many people as we wanted, but hey. And one got... One quit, so, I mean, but uh, it was a good time. Um, it's a fab event. It was a 40-year anniversary, for those of you who want to feel old, <laughs> of Alien, and, um, I mean, it's Alien. What do you want me to say? It's great. A timeless classic. It is, a classic. It, is a, it is mostly a timeless classic. I will say there's a couple things. I like that they don't give you what year it is. Uh, in fact, spoiler from the future one, I can sort of figure out, I can give a ballpark of when it could be, but definitely not knowing what year it is. Because the computers... <laughs> not, not at all. It was... I mean, I think, honestly, it was meant to be retro, because even at the time, they were they looked low-tech for computers. Yeah. Knowing what computers they had in 79, they looked a little low-tech for computers. But, I mean, then again, movie, movie people didn't know what computers looked like so much back then. It wasn't like everyone knew only in retrospect we know yeah. and other than that and one or two scenes where the alien is visible more than just a little bit in shadow it holds up amazingly the model work is great the costume for the alien is great um it has a very good feel it's despite a movie that doesn't have a ton of action in it it is very well paced there might be a little point sort of towards the middle, early middle-ish that drags a little bit, but after a certain point, it just goes. Uh, and it's great. I mean, uh, I mean, spoilers, when uh, Tom Skerritt or Captain Dallas dies, you're like, oh, but he's the captain. He's the main character. And then you realize he's not the main character, and you're like, well, fuck. <laughs> because up till then, he, I mean, it was either going to be him or John Hurt, or Ian Holm, because those were all big actors at the time, but nope, that was Sigourney Weaver in her first <laughs> starring role for a movie. 
um, which is good. She's a good, strong character, but not unrealistically so. Um, I actually find the android more terrifying than the alien at certain points because he is creepy as fuck. Yeah. And Holmes does a great job. And the cast is all great. I mean, they're all names. Yafit Kodo's been in a ton of things, you know. All Ian Holmes been in a ton of things. Even uh, Veronica Cartwright, Tom Skerritt, um, and obviously Sigourney Weaver, Harry Dean Stanton, and John Hurt. I mean, they're, they're fucking names. They're all, you go look at their IMDb's, you're going to see a list of things. And they all give solid performances. Um, none of them are unrealistic, really, at any point. It all feels like that sort of blue collar thing in a spaceship. Um, little unrealism with spaceships. It, it, you get the idea. John locked up. No, oh, no. No! Banyan must be downloading some more anime. Jerk. Uh, until John comes back, I wanted to talk about something uh, that was off the radar but is coming out today. Uh, for people that have HBO, the new Watchmen... TV series comes out. Um, supposedly, from my understanding, it is after the original movie. Uh, thanks a lot, Banyan. Um, but uh, it is supposedly what happens after the movie type thing, and it's going to be a TV series. Uh, hits HBO today, which I desperately can't wait to see because I, I like the original Watchmen comic. Uh, I like the Watchmen movie, even though it didn't follow everything in the comic, but I understood why it could and couldn't. Um, <laughs> but I definitely can't wait to see that. Um, a lot. Uh, John, you back? Uh, I'm back. Okay. <laughs> um, um, I don't know if you heard that I was talking about the new Watchmen TV show coming out today. Yeah, I now. I'm no. interested in it because I like the That's Watchmen. That's my, my official opinion is now. I love the Watchmen. The movie is solid. The the graphic novel is amazing, but no. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how it's going to go. Uh, Entirely unnecessary. It is. I, I'll agree with you. There is no I, need I, for it, I, but I'm curious. I filed under the Joker. It it may end up being awesome, and if so, kudos and hope, hope people enjoy it. But not something I need to see. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway. Finish off Alien. Uh, I'll, I'll stop my my pontificating. Uh, uh, zero space herpes. What? Just one giant alien trying to kill people. I, and I will give it four out of five Casablancas. Four out of five Casablancas. <laughs> I would agree with that. I mean, it's an old movie, but four to five. The model work is still amazing. Um, good acting. I mean, it's still classic. The and tension you've never that seen they it, produce. Oh, God. It's hard to recreate that the second and multiple viewing, but the first time, it is scary without really being graphic at any point, which is great. And it's Ridley Scott at the top of his game. I mean, that Blade Runner, that whole early, early, only needed one sequel. Um, Anyways, continue, Gonzo. The, uh, I... Rented a couple of movies this weekend, and uh, the first one I rented was Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, I didn't watch okay. in the theater, uh, so I was like, "Oh, cool! It's out for rent. I'll I'll rent it." Um, watched the whole thing. 
And as you know, I didn't care a lot for the first Spider-Man. Uh, it was it was good. It's just I miss the snarky Spider-Man comments, the PG version of Deadpool in Spider-Man uh, with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Wasn't a bad Spider-Man. Just I miss that. I miss that a lot because um, that's my nostalgia of Spider-Man. Um, so I watched Far From Home. Um, I enjoyed it. I think it's better than the first one, in my opinion. Um, I like I mean, the characters. Welcome uh, to the minority, but I'm very glad you enjoyed it that much. <laughs> I liked it better than the first one, in my opinion. I it, it, it had good action. It had good, you know, scenes. It had good characters. Um, there was a couple of, you know, cringy parts. I think... <laughs> yeah. There, there was some cringy parts, but I enjoyed it more. Uh, I did like Mysterio. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal had, a, I thought he did a really oh, yeah. good job as Mysterio. I really liked Mysterio. I thought it was a really good bad guy. Um, I liked everything that was about it. To me, it was better than the first one, in my opinion. But I still miss my snarky Spider-Man comments that he's supposed to say to bad guys. Which, you know, his little quips. I would like stuff. to point out, only happened in one movie. Well. I remember it from the comic book, you know, him saying things like that, too. So, I mean, I well, just miss that. I, I understand that, but I think it's a case of something would seem really cheesy and crappy on TV, on, on the screen. Because when Andrew Garfield was doing it in his Spider-Man, it, half of them came off okay and half came off really kind of unfortunate. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that was my... And like I said, and it's not... Tom Holland did great. I think he's a great Spider-Man. This is, this is, to me, the better of the two Spider-Mans that he's been in. Um, I, I liked it. Um, I wouldn't say it was perfect, uh, but I enjoyed it a lot. I, I had a good time watching it. I liked the characters. Uh, some of it was kind of hard right. to follow because of the, they were just kind of like, why, huh, oh, okay, yeah, and, you know, so on and so forth, but it was all right. Um, I give it, like, one and a half, <laughs> maybe pushing to... But I mean, I may be pushing two space herpes uh, on it, but it was it I mean, was I, good. I call it maybe the fourth best Spider-Man movie. <laughs> the fourth best Spider-Man movie. Um, I liked it. Like I says, I, I just miss uh, the quirky Spider-Man, you know, the 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 comments, the quips, you know, the weird things. I do find it interesting. The two after-credit scenes were really good. Um, the first one. Uh, it w was good and solid. I'm kind of curious if we're actually going to get another Spider-Man due to the, you know... Yeah, but they're, how they're going to take it? Yeah. Just wondering how they're going to take it and what they're going to do with it because it was interesting. Uh, the second in uh, spoiler was uh, in credit scene was just... It was kind of cool. It was neat. But I enjoyed it. One and a half, maybe pushing two because uh, there was just some scenes that were like, huh? But I like it's it. funny. You sound like you liked it more than me, but then you ended up giving it the same or lower rating than I did. Oh, did you? <laughs> did I? <laughs> I mean, let's see. I can find out what I gave it. But I, I, I keep a spreadsheet of that. I don't. I didn't like you know the first Tom Holland as much. I liked this one a lot more. I'm surprised me because I really like that one a lot better. Yeah. Well, not a lot better. I will little, say that both of those Spider-Man has had very good villains. The villains have been very, very good in each one of those. 
Oh yeah, here's the funny thing. You gave it, you liked it more than the first, the last one, and you gave it a lower rating than I did because <laughs> I gave it one. That's funny. So, uh, what's well, your next one, John? My, my second movie is the sequel to Alien, and that is Aliens. <laughs> um. This is James Cameron picking up for Ridley Scott. Uh, picks up uh, right with uh, Superman's character, Ripley, getting uh, picked up by Salvage Crew. And then finding out that it's 57 years later. Mm-hmm. Now, funny, that plus a note that the spoilers in this because it's an old movie that the corporate guy sent the miners to investigate the ship in the year 79 because they gave a date in, in you know month day year format but the year was only two digits and 59 means that it definitely wasn't isn't the 2000s it's definitely at least the 2100s because no one would think that the the technology in alien would be there in 2020 that was less than 50 years away in in 1979 so Probably the 21s or the 22s. In any case, that's my little bit of detective work for today. Um, but no, so it, it takes an entirely different turn on this. Is There's now a colony on the planet where the alien ship was. There's uh, people living there happily in this house um, who are Your hardly funded. Well, this is like now unless you John. read other material. Yeah, everything's going Going kind of in and out, unfortunately. Let me try something real quick here. I still blame Banian. <laughs> I blame Banian for everything. What are you... Where is... Okay. You want me to work on mine while you're working on yours? Work on your stuff and I'll... Uh, do my last one. Why don't you go ahead and do your last one, Gonzo? I'll do that while John's uh, crashing or fixing. Um, so, of course, another new movie that was for rent, I didn't get to see it in the theaters, was John Wick 3. Um, I We rented it, started watching it, and was going through it and following the story. Because originally, when uh, they announced John Wick 3, I thought that they were going to um, end the John Wick storyline. Which I was like, okay, cool. I don't have a problem with that. And then they said, no, we're just going to, you know, it's just going to be whatever. Because uh, the, the director in Keanu says, we'll keep making them until they tell us to stop making John Wick movies. Um, so I started watching it. And of course, it's your typical John Wick show. Uh, John Wick kills a bunch of people. A lot of people. And that's what he does to the entire series. Um, I do have a complaint. The action scenes, some of them were pretty stiff. There were some where you can tell that they were waiting for the punch or waiting for the maneuver. And it was like, "Mm, this is not standard, you know, cool John Wick. Although, they did have great fight scenes, still. It's just I noticed that uh, quite quickly. Um, I found a new way to use a book, I will tell you that much. Um... (laughs) Um, it, it, what, what I really liked about the entire movie was learning more about the society of assassins 
I've been wanting to learn about that for a long time, and it came up, and they, they delve really deep into it, and I really liked it. I thought it was great. Um, I can't wait for the next one. Uh, I actually can't wait to watch the uh, Continental TV show uh, to see if it does some really cool stuff, too, because I think that's going to be neat. Um, but there were some scenes, and, and it was like some fight scenes. Holly Berry was really stiff in her fight scenes, uh, which kind of stinks because I thought she did really good still. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, and I, and I did this because I'm probably being really nitpicky about it just because the John Wicks have all uh, been yes. really good. You're being really nitpicky. I didn't uh, notice any I, of that, I, and and I read a lot. I read a lot of movie m- movie stuff. No one has mentioned a damn thing about any of that. So, but it's I'm also who I am surprised. too. That that I, I see that stuff, but I also was watching it at my house with very little distraction, and you know I had that you know the screen and so on and so forth. So it was just, and, and it wasn't all of it. it. wasn't you know through the whole thing, but I mean it did have some stuff. I thought it was still good. Um, like one space RP is good. I wouldn't give it a zero because there was just some of the stuff I was just like, okay, yep. But I did have to look at to see uh, what John Wick's uh, death total is right now. Um, and I think they, they totaled it up that he's up to 300 deaths, 300 kills right now. So uh, I did uh, find it interesting that finally someone decided to wear body armor in it. Because um, <laughs> I'm like, when is somebody going to have some bulletproof vests or bulletproof stuff going on in the show? Because uh, nobody ever wore it. And that finally came to fruition. Um, I liked it, but I really liked the world. I think that was one of my favorite parts about the whole thing was learning about the world and, you know, the different parts and the government that's, you know, the table and all this other stuff. I thought that was really a cool part of the, the show. I liked a lot. Um, can't wait for the next one. Uh, I love Keanu Reeves anyway. He's an amazing guy, and he's a, he does really good roles with uh, he does really good with the John Wick. So one space RPs because I was just kind of on a couple of things, but uh, that's pushing it too. Apparently, Guns are just going to rate things higher than I do. <laughs> uh, uh, to finish, Aliens. Um, the Marines get sent out to the planet, and they sort of get ambushed by the aliens, and it becomes a sort of different movie. It's it's not the same suspense. There's still some suspense in it, but it's not the same level because, I mean, these are Marines. They have guns. Yes. That makes aliens a little less scary, but they still manage to make them scary because there's numbers, and they are still sneaky AF. And uh, the Marines get their ass whooped. Ripley saves them, and then they sort of have to get off the planet. Uh, the movie is endlessly quotable. It has a ton of great lines. Um, all the actors who are the main actors uh, are given really good performances. I mean, you've got Bill Paxton, who's a fucking legend. you got Sigourney Weaver. you got Lance Henriksen, who's a fucking legend. you got Michael Bean, who I love every movie he's in. <laughs> Um, and too bad he's not in more, but I think he's very picky about what he, what he played in. But I do legitimately love every movie he's in, and that counts Agreed. the abyss too. Agreed. The abyss. But they're they're all good. Um, the young girl playing Newt, who this is her only acting credit at all. Mm-hmm. She did not pursue acting after this. She gives a haunted look like no one else can, like no other little girl ever. Had. She looks haunted in a couple of the scenes there. She did a great job with that. And it's just a good movie. Um, 
it's a little cathartic for uh, both the audience at some point and Ripley for being able just to shoot the fuck out of some aliens every once in a while. Has, like, a great fight at the end with, uh, you know, Ripley and the power loader versus the alien queen. That's just really cool. Uh, but it's still not just a brute force. She, I mean, the people say, like, well, she just does the same thing out the airlock. Well, if it works, don't fucking knock it. But very much enjoy it. I, I also give it zero space herpes, just a bunch of fucking aliens. And it has some of the best quotable lines. Yeah, it's, it's quotable as fuck. I mean, there's tons of lines. I mean, how iconic is get away from her, you bitch? I mean, really. They, they steal stuff from this movie and the previous movie a ton. Uh, the only problem with this movie is they didn't stop here. They made Alien 3, and Alien 3, by all accounts, there is a version that's very good. But when you take a movie, and the first thing you do is shit all over the ending of the movie before it, where the main character got to have their victory, that is a problem. It is sort of the problem I had with Infinity War, because it shits all over the end of Thor Ragnarok, and that's kind of a problem, but... That's a John problem. It's not necessarily an everyone problem. But still, Zero Space Herpes, it's awesome. You should watch it. Uh, and in fact, the two of them in short order back-to-back is great. Uh, in fact, uh, the only other thing that holds up nearly as much as that would be, say, Terminator and Terminator 2. Oh, but another note about Aliens is, while their technology has advanced, it still doesn't necessarily hold up. She's got this giant, you know, thing, you know, that she punches the card in to do a FaceTime with somebody. And I'm going to call it a FaceTime because that's what it is. <laughs> and I can do it on this little thing here. So, I mean, <laughs> obviously they didn't realize how far technology was going to go. Correct. And it's funny to see that, what they call high tech. And then you're like, yeah, no, nah, dog. Nah. <laughs> you know, it's like Star Trek. You're like, ah, the, the communicator. Oh, oh, that's actually much more realistic. I mean, being able to ship in orbit, that's that's pretty good. Okay, cool. But really, you need a card and this big contraption, like basically a home computer size, to call somebody FaceTime? Nah, not so much. Not I so feel much. like Man From U.N.C.L.E. was way ahead of its time technology-wise. Oh, yeah. Like, the ones that just don't care and just go, like like Star Trek, like Star Trek going just absolutely out there, like, you weren't even far enough, Star Trek, but, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and generally in those movies, the only thing that doesn't hold up is that kind of thing. And I don't mind it doesn't hold up. I mean, how is it? It's you part can, of the charm of old movies, though. Yeah. As long as the rest holds up. And it holds up about as well as Alien did. There's a couple scenes. Mostly it's actually with the dropship going down where you're like, that that effect, not, not so good no more. Not, not so good. You can sort of see it and you're like, we're watching it in crystal clear, you know, Blu-ray. On a great TV. <laughs> when back in the day, you weren't going to watch it on that. Like, I never noticed that when I watched it on videotape the billion times I watched this movie on videotape on a regular TV. You didn't notice any of that. But nowadays, you're just like, oh, that's, yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. That's not a good scene anymore. Cameron, can you come back and fix that? Get Lucas to help you. Don't change. Anyways. <laughs> That's that. Uh, we cannot talk about the comic book. It was just a Transformers comic ad on off Kindle Unlimited. That was really weird. I'll, <laughs> I'll say this. If you're coming into a comic series, even if it says, you know, it's the first graphic novel, try and figure out where in the continuity it is because I came in and I'm like, I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on. Their shit came on before this and I don't know what's going down. 
But on the bright side, I did see the comic that has a ton of artwork that was used in uh, the Transformers TCG. I was going through like, oh, I recognize that picture from that card. I recognize that picture from that card. Which is kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. Oh, and, and, and I have to say a Transformers TCG note since this is the end. Because uh, they actually banned a second card. I didn't even know they banned the first card. Yeah, the first card was swap parts, where you take all the all the gear from one person on off two people and, and put it on each other. Uh-huh. And they did that because people were getting an endless loop with other cards that would just let them take unlimited turns and win the game. Gotcha. Okay. Which is which is uh, a, a good reason to get rid of that. Yes, and I, I had a suggestion for what they should have banned, what they should have done instead, but they didn't. They didn't do that. Then when they had a, uh, someone did a softer way of doing it with a different function, then they did my fix, which was. You can't take more than two turns in a row. How do you stop a limited turns? Put a rule in the gut book. Can't take more than two turns in a row. Job's a good one. So I did that sort of halfway through, but they didn't unban the first card. And then the second card is called Press the Advantage. It is an orange and green pip that gives... one. You choose one of your Autobots, it gets plus two attack. You choose a Decepticon, it gets minus two defense until the end of, end of the turn. And it was... Pretty egregious. People were not playing a ton of Decepticons because it just, I mean, as you would guess, ends a Decepticon. Yeah. They finally realized that it is, yeah, as Bainan said, it's hot bullshit. No one <laughs> play Decepticons. Every time we played against each other, we'd be like, oh, fuck. All right, well, I'll lose this game. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, bad, so they, they finally decided to ban it, which I like. I like that they're uh, keeping up with that stuff and trying to make it a good game for the long run. That's good. Let's throw that out there at the end. There you go. There's my Transformers talk for the day. All right. So that's uh, I'm a wrap. <laughs> uh, guys, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you uh, clicking that button, hitting those follows, hitting the subscriptions. It helps us out a lot. Um, yep. Remember to throw ideas our way. If you want to talk about games or movies or whatever, throw some ideas our way. We're actually uh, might put something that forces me to watch movies in uh, the new... Uh, the new Patreon, if we want, uh, you think I'll look at something like that, where you guys get to choose a movie for me to watch, as long as it's somewhat easily available. <laughs> so, with that, guys, please take care of each other. Watch out. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next week. Bye. That's Kathy. That's, That's John. John.